Welcome to episode 202 of Control the Controllables. And how do we better the three-time Grand Slam champion, Andy Murray, who was our episode 200? Well, we've gone and got a 25-time Grand Slam winner in Alfie Ewart. I know there will be people that watch me play on court one at Wimbledon and think, man, this, this guy's amazing. What he does, he plays wheelchair tennis. He's an inspiration. But what people don't know was that I was also that that same child that I think many children, you know, they face adversity, they face bullying, um, a change of lifestyle, um, struggling with men, you know, mental health, yeah. all of those key topics that, you know, everything that they go through, I've gone through and, for me, sport was what really digged me out of that hole. And if you want a story that is full of resilience, perseverance, it's full of emotion and purpose and reason for competing on the court, then look no further than Alfie Ewart's story. It's an incredible story that started with absolute trauma at the age of six, as he was told he's unable to play able-bodied sport again, he was then bullied. So now what? How is he going to come back from this? And here we are all of those years later, 25-time Grand Slam winner, someone who has changed the landscape of wheelchair tennis forever and, and is continuing to be on a mission to further that and the opportunity. The story is truly inspirational. Alfie is truly inspirational. I feel very lucky to have had that conversation and I'm sure you are going to love listening to it. Let me pass you over to Alfie Ewart. So Alfie Ewart, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? Very good, thanks. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an honour to, to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's an honour to have you, Alfie. And there's there's so many things for us to get into, obviously, your 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 career. And, and I, I like to start on the podcast, Alfie, by looking at people's tennis journey and how they've got into tennis. But uh, I think with yourself, I'd actually like to start with your life, actually, because there was obviously a, a period in your life before tennis became a thing and certainly before tennis became a thing in a wheelchair. And yeah, yeah. And, and and if I go back to the, to the very, very start, I believe you started your life alongside your sister, Ellie, uh, very, very closely. I don't know who came first. You or Ellie? Uh, she was a minute earlier than me, so she gets all the bragging rights. So she, she, she jumped ahead. But I, and I, and I know, very, very early stages of your life as well. You had an open heart surgery at at six months. So if we go back all of that time, and I guess my first question then is linked: Was that period part of what played a role? with you not being able to play able-bodied sport or was that something that came after? So for me, when I was, well, pretty much born, I had a condition called Tetralogy of Phallets, which there's three or four different um, things associated with that condition, but the main one being that I had holes in my heart and that was picked up around seven weeks before I was meant to be born. So I was a, I was a very premature baby. And I think my mum went into just like a routine scan, a bit of a checkup, and they noticed there was something um, wrong with with myself. And 
decided pretty much there and then that that needed to get me and my twin <laughs> out of the out of the cupboard um and see and see really what was going on and yeah that's that's how my my heart condition really started just one of those things nothing nothing was um yeah nothing caused it it wasn't related to anything um but i was about three pounds nine i want to say um when i was born so i was a very small small baby uh, my sister and was was quite opposite so i think we know who oh, took really? all the, the the nutrients um like and, twins like we, twins the movie <laughs> yeah 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 no I, I always i always hold that against it now um but that yeah that like i said that's that's obviously how it all came about and i was pretty much rushed straight to great ormond street um as soon as i was as soon as i was delivered and um i was too young to to be operated on at that at that stage so they had to to manage the condition and um keep me going for seven or eight months and then once i was big enough and had grown a little bit they they operated on me and i had a major heart um yeah open heart surgery and they put patches on the the holes of the heart and um had to thicken out some of the the arteries because they were um yeah they were they were too too constricted and um some other little things as well but it's too too complex to get into yeah. now um but that, that wasn't that wasn't initially the reason for for getting into um, wheelchair tennis it was it was about six seven years later so I managed to still play sport on my feet up until that point but like you could say I never really like exerted myself to to maximum because there was always that I guess worry with with the heart condition like I didn't want to push it but it's a uh, touch word it's still it's still going strong today because when I actually had the operation um they said that the patches that that was put on my my holes obviously in my heart were only meant to last between 10 and 15 years and you know with playing sport and, and now pushing myself on, on the tennis court and in the gym uh, there were concerns that maybe I need to have a, another um, open heart surgery which going through many tests and seeing the consultants and the doctors over the last sort of five to ten years it's been apparent that that's not the case anymore and, and maybe there was a little bit of uh, uh, misunderstanding when, when I had the initial okay. surgery and that they actually use some of my own um, tissue to to um, help the the, uh, the patches, and, and therefore it's just grown naturally, um, which is good news for me because I don't Absolutely. have to stop obviously doing doing what I'm doing because that would be a pretty big obviously operation and would probably take some some serious time out for it. So so that was good news. But then I was going back to actually why I'm playing wheelchair tennis. Um, it all came about when I was around six old six and a half years old and a, a fit lad you know I just played football loved being competitive loved being athletic um football was my sort of my dream I always dreamed of being a professional goalkeeper now looking at the height of me I don't think I would have gotten very far being five foot five but um yeah I, it was yeah it was a it was always something that I wanted to do played for a local team um sort of having trials for for Norwich City Academy at the time as well so yeah, really, really, um, really had some strong ambitions there. And I just developed some some pain initially in my sort of like left knee, left knee, left eye, and didn't think anything too, too yeah, didn't think too much of it at the time. Got worse and worse. And uh, I remember it got, getting to a stage where I could barely put any um, any weight through my through my left leg. And went to the doctors initially said, oh, it's just growing pains, you know, he's playing football, he's a, he's a growing lad, it's one of these normal um, normal things that happen. And 
it got to a stage where yeah, I'd be on the football pitch or I'd be walking around. It didn't really matter where, and my leg would just give give way, and I'd be collapsing and be in absolute agony wow. and just live, live the whole time. It, yeah, it was probably a good, I don't know, seven eight months, if not a bit longer, of persevering and just trying to get on with it. And um, obviously, we didn't know that it was the extent of what it was eventually. And I think it took. Because um, it was a bit of a blessing. Mean, these are all stories I get told. You know, back then, yeah, yeah. I guess because it, it was almost like a bit of a traumatic time for me. I don't really remember. Um, the that's what I was going to say. You, you almost like it feels like you're almost talking about another person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like that. That side of it all, I really don't remember. It was um, sometimes when I, I guess, I'm a few doors in memory, and when people remind me of that and that, it's like okay, yeah, I remember, and then suddenly you start yes, reminiscing of, of what it was like. Um, but it's, I guess it's not an experience that I wish anyone to, to go through, but, um, you know, thankfully for me, I had a really good support network around me and um, have, yeah, I, I guess now with everything that's gone on since, it's one of those things I look back on and I say, I'm glad it happened in, in some way because I would never have had the career that I, that I had. But um, I guess going back, it was, yeah, it was, I remember playing football and just randomly collapsing with agony. Mum was like, right, right. we're going straight to the hospital here, went to, went to A&E, had a few x-rays and um, the results came back and they said it was a, it was a condition called perphase disease where basically the um, sort of head of the femur, uh, the hip ball started, the surface of it started to disintegrate. Um, yep. And obviously, it had been happening for you know nine nine months or so. And the the one thing I certainly not recommended is that you put weight through it. So you know, it obviously started so long ago, um, and me continuing what, what I was doing just made it worse and worse. And right, okay, the the hip of the ball decided to, to dissolve, and um, hence the the agony that I was in really. And I pretty much was put in traction straight away, and they said, yeah from now on he's going to be wheelchair bound for for at least a few years and um, you know that transition was a very difficult one for a seven-year-old to mm. to take and understand and it wasn't one that I wanted to accept at the time um, so I remember after I came out playing being in the in the hospital and I saw my mates playing football or PE lessons wherever it may be and I was I was in this chair and I'd be like I'm I'm not having this. I'm going to do it. And I'd get up and I'd try and walk or run. And you just hear this crunch going on back in hospital. It was, and that happened like two or three times. So yeah, that's, that's sort of how the condition came about. And, um, you know, I've been playing wheelchair tennis ever since that. And my life completely changed because of that thing. And once again, it was just one of those conditions. It wasn't because of an accident or, or anything. It was just, you know, one of those things that life likes to throw at you. And, um, yeah, I guess it probably um, shaped me to the mentality and, and who I am today, for sure. Yeah, and that that even comes out, I think, as you're talking to Alfie, the young seven-year-old who's determined to get out the chair and try and run and walk is, is that 20-plus-year-old that I see playing at Wimbledon <laughs> who's fist pumping and and showing that determination you know i think that's that's one of your big character traits that 
comes through very loud and clear, you know, and I, and I, and I guess, and I talk a lot about this to guests. It's the consequence of things we often don't know at the time, <laughs> you know, oh, but, yeah. but then when you, when, when these things evolve, we start, we start to understand it a little bit more, but if I just keep you in that time period, just for now, you as a person, what effect did that have on you? Because, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you lose your lower limbs. You're unable to run around, play. That for a child must have been a, a monumental thing to, one, have to deal with mentally, but two, in terms of how you then are able to get on with friends and and, and carry on mm. in, in normal life. What what effect did that have on, on you from a mentality standpoint? at that time yeah it's a it's a, it's a big question and you know obviously it has such a physical impact on your life also become a lot more um, limited and what i'm able to do on my feet which is basically nothing at, at the time um so that is is a very hard thing to to understand and for a lot of um what i went through in the early stages was was just a lack of acceptance as to this happening to me yeah. and I just remember the the question always being, "Why me? Like, what? Why did this have have to happen to me?" Because um, it it really knocked my confidence. It really knocked, I think, who I was as a as a person and um, the men the mental side of going through a transition. Whether you're seven, whether you're a teenager, or even when you know whether you're an adult, because you you get used to a certain way of life and for me then it was then what I had to adapt and little things you you start to appreciate more in life um like taking a shower sounds ridiculous but you know I needed to have a a bathroom that was then accessible for me to use and the house that we were living in at the time wasn't the case so then I had to move from upstairs to downstairs because I had no way of getting upstairs but then I didn't like the I was away from my my twin my brother my mom who were all upstairs it felt like it was uh you know I was I was separated from from that and you know it was just a lot of change you know you you have to adapt everything that we we had to build a ramp just to go into the house because there was such a big step and then going from sort of like the pavement into the car I needed a a, like a but we called it a banana board just to be able to transfer into the car um you know and then not being able to do sport and do um, do the things that obviously I, I really enjoyed and, and loved at, at the time was really difficult and you know I give credit to a lot of people who who were around me at the time because I still went to nearly every single football match yeah. um, that I was playing for and they made me feel just as included as I was before being in the chair and felt part Brilliant. of the team and even and even though I wasn't the one out there playing whenever we'd get a trophy, the team would win a trophy. There'd always be a trophy for me at the end. And it was like oh, I was a bit of a mascot. So, um, yeah, that was a big part. But, you know, that with that, I, I did lose sort of my my friendship group initially at, at the school I was with because they they were young. They were, they were, you know, they were children. I don't really understood what it was that I was, that I was going through and found it hard to be able to include me. And um, were, were you bullied? There were moments, yeah, yeah, like all, all the way through to to the high school. Um, that there was certainly been cases of bullying, and I think it's more being the 
the say the old one out, but I was the only one in, in a chair at the time. So even for the school, which was quite a small school, it was it was difficult for um for them to to adjust as well and they had to learn and, and my my family obviously went in and spoke with them quite a bit. So there was a lot of communication. But you know, for the for the kids they they were spoken to about what I was going through, but some of the kids don't understand and um you know find it difficult to to uh, it's adapt as well but it was more so you know being not included like I remember in my early years of being in PE everyone would be playing basketball or netball or football or something and um, I was told that I would have to go to um, the computer room and just research random different sport which you wouldn't see nowadays but it, in the moment it was like hang on this is a physical education lesson and I'm being told that I've got, to, I think it was like corkboard or something like that. I've got, yeah, yeah. I've got to deliver like a an A4 piece of paper worth of rules and understanding of tactics on on this sport. And it was that segregation, I guess, away oh, from yeah. the group, which um, probably heightened the. I don't like to say this, but the difference because yeah, that was the big thing. Yeah. That was the big thing for me at the time. It was like I don't like being different. I felt yeah, like I was yeah. different from from everyone else. You know, no one else was in the chair. No one else was having to sit on a different table in school because I couldn't sit on the the table because it was too high and things like that. And you know, everything had to be adapted. But and I didn't like that. I was being the, the yeah the the different one, I guess, in in yeah. school. Um, and and so yeah, yeah yeah I guess that was a big reason as to why I just hated being in the wheelchair and hated what was happening to me because I just wanted to, to feel, like I said, I don't like using the expression now, but feel normal, feel included. And I think yeah. when I look at society now and I, and I hear and see people who are, you know, who have a disability in school, it's so much better. It's, yeah. it's way more um, educated and schools are way more prepared for, for that sort of um, adjustment if, if needed. So Yeah. I think it's really a, it's it's an inspirational story, Alfie. But I think it's it needs to be heard. You know, I, like people out there need to need to hear this story and need hear stories like yours because it's that there's somebody out there listening to this that is in that situation right yeah, now. It, and I, that's why I feel passionate about inspiring. There's there's a lot of conversations happening behind the scenes and unfortunately I cannot share just right now, but hopefully yeah. in a, in a, in a, some time I'll be able to, but it, it means a lot because I was that kid and I know there will be people that watch me play on court one at Wimbledon and think, man, this, this guy's amazing. <laughs> what he does, he plays wheelchair tennis and inspiration. But what people don't know was that I was also that, that same yeah. child that I think many children, you know, they face, adversity they face bullying um, a change of lifestyle um, struggling with men you know mental health yeah. all of those key topics that you know everything that they go through i've gone through and for me sport was what really digged me out of that hole you know we haven't we haven't touched on it yet but it was that that's why i got into wheelchair tennis it wasn't because my mum was like right we're gonna create the next wheelchair tennis grand slam play it was just help let's help him let's help his mental health let's get him active again let's, yep, absolutely. Um, let's make new friends and play with the family in terms of being able to play together things like that and 
I know there's so many youngsters that are, are in that position now, um, and even teenagers that probably felt very similar things to what I was going through. And, and you know, I openly talk about it. I had therapists counseling when I was when I was younger. I had a lot of anger problems, and what people probably don't know that's why I'm very emotional yeah. player on the court as well. You, you see that I'm um, very emotive out there, and but yeah, back then and it's. Um, was it was a difficult a lot yeah a difficult period and, and so I went through all the same feelings and emotions as I know a lot of youngsters with disabilities are, are struggling with so I just hope that I can relay that message whenever I get the opportunity to use my platform to to um, share my story and to know that you know what I'm doing right now didn't just happen overnight uh, there was a long long process and um, you know I can I can relate yeah, and it all it almost feels in that moment because there's various reasons why youngsters get into those dark holes, you know, and it it can be a disability, it could be race, it could be sexuality, it, it could be bullying, it could be you know, it could be a, a number of various things that put us in there, and more and more with the way social media is, the, it's a, it's a it's a brutal world out there right now, and the question that I now want to move to and you've touched on it, Alfie, is how did you get out? Because, you know, that's the bit that it feels like I'm never going to get out of this. I'm never going to be able to accept it. And you've talked there, you started, you mentioned your mum. Now, the my understanding of your, of your journey at, at that stage, I know your mum was a massive, massive influence and I know also your grandfather was a big, big influence as well. You know, to to be taking you to these new sports, to be trying them out, to then obviously everything that then goes with it. And I know there were some big sacrifices that, that that were made. But the starting point, if you go back to when you first started playing tennis, playing tennis is hard anyway, you know, but stick you in a, stick you in a chair. It's, it's, a, it's an extremely yeah. difficult sport. We, did you take it up straight away? Was were you a natural? Was it a challenge? Uh, what do you remember about that period? Well, I can I can definitely uh, definitely say I wasn't a natural. It didn't it didn't come very easy to me. Um, but I did lots of different sports, and that was yeah. You know, I'll go back to sort of your initial statement around how did I get out of it? Well, I found a purpose again. You know, my purpose yeah. again was was sport and my you know my mom my grandparents um well my auntie and you know, there was a, there was a lot of people at the time who who knew how instrumental sport was in, in my life because it was a big you know played a big role before I was in a chair um and and so they 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 scouted what it was about and there was various different um like come try sessions whether it was in Norwich or Norfolk where I was based or there was like a disability festival that was run by Wheelpower, I believe, at the time in Stoke Mandeville, which was an amazing escape, really, because I'd go there for like a long weekend and you'd sign your name up to Bryce, wheelchair tennis, wheelchair basketball, athletics, um, table tennis, you you name it. There was pretty much every sport there that you could that you could um, test out and, and have a go at. And you, I just looked up, I've seen some pictures recently of me participating in those events and, and all you can see is me caring about getting that basket in the hoop or getting that yeah. tennis ball over the net you know it wasn't I wasn't taking in my surroundings I felt included I felt like I was part of something I felt like I could 
be myself and make friends again. I made a, a lot of friends um, during that those times and ones I'm still very close to now as well. And that's really the the impact that those opportunities can can have. Um, you know, it wasn't uh, wasn't like right. We're going to get Alfie in a in a in a chair, make him play tennis, so that he so he plays at Wimbledon one day. It was just what's he going to enjoy? What's he going to love? What's he going to find a passion in? And um, you know, I tried all these different sports, and wheelchair tennis was one of them. It wasn't the only one, but it was yeah. one of them. Um, you know, I could. I remember going down to. East Anglian Tennis Squash, squash Club, um, Limeshire Road in, in Norwich every Wednesday evening. My brother would turn up, my sister would turn up. There'd be other people there with disabilities, with their families that would that would show up. And I was in a like a big red cross chair at the time, so it wasn't like it was sport specific. And I think I racket from, um, I don't know where was it, Sports Direct or something at the time, and couldn't hit a ball. You know, there was there was nothing, there was no talent there. There was no, there was nothing going on. It was just just being out there playing sport and and it was a challenge as well like something that I see even now especially now is I love a I love a challenge and I love a problem to to solve and not in that over especially where I wanted to was um was something that really frustrated me but also gave me a lot of joy when it when it happened um and a lot of my early memories was on that court playing killer catch and just learning basic techniques of of the sport and you know, wheelchair tennis is is very difficult to get a grip with, quite literally as well. You know, playing um, playing tennis on your feet looks challenging, but trying to get a wheelchair and put a grip in a tennis racket in your hand and try and get a grip with the chair and get to the ball, move to the ball, hit the ball, re- recover and get out of there. It's, it's incredibly tough skill set and one that obviously has taken a, a lot of years. And for me early stages it was just to get used to the, the wheelchair i did a lot of wheelchair movement um yeah. i joined i joined a wheelchair basketball club as well which was something yeah. i absolutely loved um that was a massive massive part of of my journey even in tennis was was that you know it's two different sports you got team sport and an individual sport yeah. um and that helped me with um yeah, gain the the sort of movement and the familiarity with the chair and how it works and how it's because I've seen many um, people get in a chair and go backwards, spin around in circles. You know, that chair is quite quite lively yeah. at times. And so getting a getting a hang of that and then obviously the tennis side is something that you just have to learn like like anyone does, you know, the forehand, the backhand, the serve, all of it. And to try and just get used to the two and combine it together, it's it takes a lot of time and, and patience and I will be honest, I think I think if it wasn't for my family just really pushing me at times because I, I think tennis is one of those sports where if you don't get it straight away, it can become very easily frustrating. Yeah. It was like to a wheelchair basketball and I could just do lengths of the of the court and feel like I was doing something. But then yeah. when you sat there trying to line a forehand, I'm like, oh, this isn't the sport for me. Like, what, what am I doing? I just want to go and, and feel like I'm being active. And It's harder you know, to play great. the game, isn't it? I think that it's the challenge for not just wheelchair tennis, it's the challenge for able-bodied tennis as well. The The game is complex. The skill, the skill level is complex. So mm. the ball, mm. I mean, even more so in a chair, but it, the 
it comes, the ball comes off a racket and it flies and it's like, there's nothing that stops it. And it's like, it's hard to get to the level of playing the game, which is really what then mm-hmm. gets us bought into the game. You know, once we're in the game, then, then we start to love the nuances and, and start to feel that competitive spirit, you know, and that's, I think that's one of the biggest challenges that tennis has is a, as a, as an industry actually. Yeah, I completely agree, and I, and I think that was what was so so good for me at the early ages. It wasn't so serious; like I didn't take it seriously. It was it's all about you know playing with my siblings and other you know other people and just having a laugh. Like it was just fun. It it never was it just never was serious. I just remember playing Killer Cat. It used to be the the game that I'd be buzzing around every Wednesday. I'm, like, oh, I'm gonna make sure that I'm the last one standing, and then and they're not gonna catch. Um, my ball and uh back then it's all it's all i cared about and then as you start to, to train a bit more you start picking up skill like you say then things change a little bit but you know i had some really good coaches um at that first stage i guess of my of my tennis career who, who just made it easy going um made me want to come back and and even though it was frustrations and maybe there was a few sessions i had to be taken to eventually uh, i found my my love for it and and you you hit me Alvia I've I've had the pleasure of meeting you very briefly in the gym at NTC but I I followed your career Craig's a good friend of mine you know and I I've I've listened to you over the years and it and it very clearly seems to me that you're a strong family man you know you've you come from a tight-knit family um you like teams around you you know, and that seems to be something that you've you've very much put in place. How, as you're going through that journey and you're starting now to get into it and you're starting to move into playing to a relatively high level, you know, I know at 14 years old, you, you went to the South of France and played an event, you know, so you're starting to get on, on the international stage. How important was it or, or is it to have have that strength of team around you and in particular those loved ones in your family? Massively. I mean, even, even now, I think a lot of my, I know a lot of my success is, is down to the team that, that I have around. And I'm, I can proudly say that everyone that I've worked with in my career has always had um, the best interest of not only my tennis, but, but also me as an individual. And I think that's, what's so important in sport, um, but especially me and Craig, Craig and, and Ben and everyone that was with me can, can watch for that is taking care of the individual. And you know, I've gone through some difficult uh, challenges over the last few years, which for me to be able to go out there and perform, um, we had to make sure that I was okay off the court and deal with all the, all the stuff that was going on. But that's, that transpires back to, you know, when I picked up, a racket for the first time. I've always had an unbelievably supportive family. I remember various members of my family taking me to events, whether it be my mum, my, my granddad, or my auntie, my grandma. They've all they've all had a go, um, and taken me all around the country yeah. to train to tournaments, and eventually, obviously, overseas as well. And if it wasn't for you know their their support, dipping their hands in their pockets, sacrificing their time because you know it, it is a lot of traveling it is a lot of um expense as well and we weren't a particularly rich family and we're not so um they really committed 
I guess, and were were so supportive. And it takes you know a lot of a lot of care, a lot of love, and um, a lot of yeah, a lot of support really to 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 do that. Could have been easily just stick to what you're doing and um, not progress. But they were always willing me to to be better, and they could always see a little spark in me. And I was. Yeah. I was told that by one of my first coaches that there's this, I don't know, attitude or behavior that you just can't, you can't teach someone. It's just there. It's like a natural competitiveness where I never say, yeah, never say die and I never give up and um, just want to win. Like I'm so hungry to win. I'm always, always wanting to be better as as a tennis player and um, as a person as well. And, And that was always, in the very early stages of, of my career and, and they could see that so <laughs> to try and get through to, to that was the biggest part because I was like I said I was quite quite an emotional kid and I was a bit of a, a bit of a roller coaster but um you know once I settled with uh, with Donna Andrews who, who was a big part of my junior career and, and also senior that was where my sort of turning point in, in my career really took an incline she installed a lot of very good habits in me um discipline a great mentality worked hard and tried to understand aim obviously a bit better but um you know so much at that point that needed working on i think a lot of it was was mentality and you know i'm very grateful for that very grateful for the people that have always been around me because like i said before they've they've always given 110 percent, and when you have people like that around you you're always gonna thrive in that environment a lot of people don't understand this, but I, I, it, it strikes me that you absolutely do, Alfie. Relationships go both ways, and yeah. you're the you're the star, you're the player, you're it's your tennis journey. However, what what you and not just you, what players? This could be in football, this could be in in all sports or or any industries. What you give will be also given back. Like it can't just be that coaches or team around can just give, 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 give. And and it seems to me that you really fully understand that, that, that kind of back and forth between the team. And, you know, I, I, I spoke to Craig and, you know, Craig's words, I think, sum it up quite nicely. And he, he basically said there's not enough superlatives to to say about Alfie, you know, and he deserves absolutely <laughs> every, he wouldn't say it to your face maybe, but you know, that he, he deserves absolutely every bit of success that he gets. And that seems to be the strong message that comes back to you. So the question I'm asking you, yes, it's a, it's an individual sport or it's you and Gordon just beating everyone whenever you play them in doubles, um, which is obviously a team sport, but as a, as a, as a team, and if you sit, go back to, I know your mom had to give up her job. I know at times your granddad gave up jobs to travel. I know your granddad hasn't been well over the last couple of years. How much do you draw from that? So when you're playing, how big is your motivation to give back to those people that have, have given so much for you? And is that where it feels like there's just this big emotion that's that's coming out when you're playing, which is which is such a strong driving force behind this almost desperation to win? Yeah. Uh, well, that's a, that's a good question, deep question as well. Um, it's a massive motivation for me. 
you know, I want to, I want to give back to the people that have put in their time and and their you know, their sacrifice in into me. Like you, you mentioned, my mom's had to make career changes um, to accommodate me and be more supportive of me, more so as an individual, but then also as a as a tennis player as well. And you know, my, my granddad, who you know, was suffering and is still suffering, he's an absolute diehard fan who who absolutely <laughs> loves um what I do and is very very passionate uh, about what I do and my whole family and I think that's a thing now when I look at my team I don't see them as a team um I see them as a family and and I've always had family sort of relationships you could say with with my team like when I when I worked with Donna beforehand and, and even Stuart as well before that um we're all very well connected with people that are close to me and there's, there's a good relationship and for me to feel safe and almost protected with, with who I'm working with is, is such a big part of what makes me do what I do and, and it's that's a definitely a two-way street because you know I need to earn their trust and they need to earn my trust and we we need to be to be honest and open and transparent in every situation and every little thought and every little detail and you know back when I was younger obviously there was a lot of that to help me get over the the transition of being in a chair so I guess when I go out there now um it's slightly changed because I like to say that I play for myself you know I go out there and I win because I want to I want to do it for me I want to do it for um the reasons that I play tennis which is to of course be as successful as I possibly can but also inspire a generation and and try and deliver that message anything is possible and you can kickstart your journey no matter what place and situation you're in that it, that it is always possible but deep down I always want to do it for for my family as well because you know they <laughs> they especially my sister and my brother are probably sick of it um they probably want their own identities and in, in their life but you know I feel like I'm, I'm carrying that that weight of success um to do it for them, to make them proud, to um, repay them all the trips and money and yeah, just support that they gave me back in, in the early days. And I think I can say I've done that now. Um, so I'm, I'm proud of that. But, you know, even now I know they're still some of my biggest fans or they are my biggest fan and they're always watching. They're always screaming at the TV when I'm not doing well and, probably criticizing me when I'm doing well still as uh, the way they are and we have a you know we have a great great bit of fun about that um but no it's it's so deeper than just playing tennis for me and I think that's that's what comes what you probably don't see yeah, yeah. When, well maybe you do see and I think anyone that knows me um personally and is close to me can can definitely agree and say that that's why there's probably a lot of emotion. It's not just me going out there and playing a sport. It's it's me. It's, it's who I am. It's the inspiration. It's it's the family that are behind me. It's it's even my coaches. You know that they're emotionally invested in what I'm doing. They care 110 percent about what I'm doing. And when I lose, they lose. When I cry, they cry. You know, it's a lot. And when I win, they win, and we celebrate as well. You know, it's. So it's, it's a difficult sport at times, a very emotional sport, but there's a lot of motivation to play in. You know, I've had had many experiences with different motivations over my time, but 
I can say I'm I'm at peace with with why I'm playing now, and I found my big why. And classification gave me a massive obstacle to play in my career, but right now is probably the most um, at peace I have been with with tennis and just being able to focus purely on what I'm doing and and, and the bigger picture as well and the inspiration you can have to to others. Very good, Alfie. Do you see your career as successful? Uh yeah, yeah. Um, Good. You know, it's it's one that when you stop, one day, whenever that day will be, I think I'll look back and reflect on it more more positively than I do now. Um, yep. There's always an you hear this a lot. There's always another tournament to be played, and I'm very much thinking ahead to the next one, pretty much all all the time. But you know, if let's say something happened and I was to retire right here right now i'd be well i'd be devastated that i never could get the wimbledon and a gold medal but um once i got over that and accepted that i'd be yeah i'd be very happy with what i've achieved and i just feel like i'm in my my absolute peak right now and it's growing uh, by the tournament and it's it's almost new territory for for us and for wheelchair tennis so we don't know what's around the corner but this is the most amazing part of my career right now and I'm enjoying it. I'm having to to focus and learn a lot, you know, on the job really. But um, yeah, I'm happy with with what I've done. Good, and so you bloody should be. Twenty five grand slams, you know what I mean? <laughs> 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 um, but it, you've you're someone who's dealt with adversity. You were you were given adversity from if you were in the womb. You were given some adversity, you know. So adversity is things that you've you've lived with and you've you've overcome and developed this amazing growth mindset towards it but back in 2020 you had some adversity because they started looking at the guidelines of what what does make a wheelchair tennis player what's the criteria do you fit and I, and I know that they looked into the Perthers disease and it was looked under quite quite a lot of scrutiny as to whether that was gonna you were gonna be able to continue your career. And you were only age twenty three at that time, hanging over you potential forced retirement. What what do you remember about that period? And what was the feeling when you were told and and the 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 verdict was given that you were going to be able to continue? Yeah, I mean, it's a chapter of my life that. Um was was extremely difficult to to manage um obviously i knew and understood the reasonings behind the classification changes um you know and it was never a direct attack or whatever against me or perth A's disease it was it was just the system that they initially put in place wasn't sport specific um yeah. they were instructed yeah were instructed by the IEC to, to deliver a new a new criteria for minimal impairment, and the criteria that they brought in wasn't wheelchair specific, wheelchair tennis specific, should I say? So, initially, um, when I was assessed against those rules, there was a handful of us um, that were deemed ineligible under the new criteria, and that was a, a really difficult decision to to hear and obviously a lot of thoughts go through through your mind at that point at the early stages you start thinking what now what in five years what in 10 years what am I going to do the uncertainty around it um, the stability around 
you know, your your career is suddenly on the line. And as a 23-year-old who had, I mean, I felt like I'd pretty much um, secured a, a future job, you know, in terms of what I'm doing. Like something, this, is, this isn't something that I plan on, on leaving anytime soon. So, you know, injuries can, can sometimes um, get in the way and be a problem. But, you know, at that age, it was, yeah, certainly wasn't the case. So, yeah, that was... Um, a very difficult part because I always felt like I didn't know whether this was going to be my last one. So you would arrive, well, I'd arrive at you know Australian Open, and that was, I think, on paper probably. I say on paper that was probably the one of the difficult ones, um, difficult most difficult moments because I lost that. I think I lost the final there, and I didn't know obviously at that time that I was going to be given another year. And I just remember breaking down afterwards in the in the locker room because I was like I'll never win Australian Open singles now I'll never have that opportunity to to win that title that I was so desperate to win and it happened again um in the Paralympics it happened again obviously in Wimbledon and after all these events that I just desperately wanted to to win and I didn't manage to do that it would just feel like the um like there's this big black cloud over my head raining constantly and I and I just couldn't escape the feelings of, of what that scenario gave me. Um, you know, I dealt with it as best as I could have done because I, I remember sitting down with my team who I must say were so, so awesome and so great and so supportive in that period. And I, I put all the success that I, that I had in that period down to them for keeping me somewhat sane and, and mentally stable in it best anyway, um, but in the zone and, and thinking about the tennis because it's like anyone you see who retires when you're playing that last match, you see how they, those emotions come up towards the end of the match. It was like that for me in every single tournament that I played. I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to stop doing what I was doing. And this was something that wasn't in my control. It wasn't my decision. It was it was obviously external. And um, I just hoped in that period that the criteria would um, change to a more sport-specific sport one. And I knew that I would hopefully be assessed and given the green light from it. But I was never given that green light. I believed that I was going to have to start something new. And with that, I started looking at a new career path because I think playing, being involved with tennis still would have been a little bit too raw for me. Um, so I was prepared to start at the bottom of the ladder again and go to university, do something something new. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I had to look at it that way. Um, otherwise, I think I would have been, an even, uh, been in, in an even darker hole than what I was already in. And, um, yeah, I remember the one thing that I will always take now is I wanted that last year to be the best year of my life. I wanted it to be the best. If it was going to be my last year, I didn't want it to be a flop. I didn't want it to be this just misery and, you know, this darkness. And My goodbyes and farewells were just tainted by emotion. And so I went out there with this mindset that I'm going to give absolutely everything just going to give absolutely everything right here and right now and that's all I can ever ask for myself because I think if at the end of the year that decision never got reversed at least I can say that I gave 110% in the present um, and that's taught me a lot of psychological tips and um, lessons I guess going forward about being present that was probably the most difficult one that I'll ever I'll ever have because there was people talking about me behind my back players talking about me I had media asking me the same question every five minutes, what it felt like. 
Well, people will read the people will yeah people will read the headline, and the headline could even suggest that you're cheating, <laughs> as yeah, well. So that that's it, that it, which is which is where yeah. this is so crazy. Oh, I had a lot. I had a lot. I had a lot of um, yeah, a lot of that. And unfortunately, the people that were affected were put targets on their back um, to to be criticised and for I guess credibility to be diminished. Uh, and that's how it felt. Like I, I would win a. Oh, wow, I did win, I think, a Grand Slam in that period. And I think the, the headline was more about classification than it was about the Grand Slam. And that's what I found really difficult. No one wanted to talk about the tennis. Not everyone mm -hmm. just wanted to talk about the situation. And um, I could never escape it. So, yeah, difficult. You're a professional athlete. And the problem with professional athletes is you often have to go and train. So I'm, I've got five minutes left with you, Alfie. And... You've talked there about so so where control the controllables and at that period, that wasn't a controllable for you. So you said earlier you love a challenge, and you love to have a problem to solve, you know. And there was a certain element of that that was taken taken away from you. Well, you have a current challenge and another problem to solve in a young seventeen year old from Japan, Yukito <laughs> Oda, who was yes. who, who has arrived on the scene. So how are you going to overcome this problem and find a solution to kick his ass back to Japan? <laughs> yeah, no, he's he's obviously, um, he's come on the scene. He's, he's very new and taking everyone, um, I think, a bit by surprise. We, we all knew he was coming up. Um, I didn't think he would accelerate to the levels that he has this quick. He's got a very he's got a very aggressive game, a very aggressive mindset, a fearless mindset, which is um is rare to find, I think. And uh, you know, I say similar to like you say in Alcaraz, or you see you see it in Alcaraz, which is nothing fears him. And so, you know, I have a lot of respect for for Tikito and what he's doing to wheelchair tennis already because he's he's brought a you know a very aggressive, fast paced style, and that was happening anyway. I think there was there was certainly other players that had come in. I'd, I'd include myself in that who who want to take wheelchair tennis to another level and a more exciting level, um, yep. a quicker level. And and he's coming in and he's doing that and he's perfecting it. And and so I've now got to you know go back to the the drawing board because the start of the year I played him three times and one straight sets and all of them. And then last two times I played him. He's beaten me fairly convincingly in, in two Grand Slam finals where one of them's the first time on, on Philip Chatrier and the second one's on court one at Wimbledon. It's quite quite big occasions and he's managed to to settle into the match and play the the sort of tennis that, that he's capable of. Um and I wasn't able to do that. So I think I think a big part of that is is learning because he's he's a lefty and there's, there's not a lot of lefties on on the tour right now. Obviously Gordon's one of them. Um but aside from him, there's no one else. And so the way uh, the ball kicks uh, kicks off, you know, off a, off a serve is different to a right-hander. And the way he approaches his tennis is, you know, is very aggressive. So it puts a lot of pressure on me. I've got to train more like it. I've got to get used to his intensity and and, and what he's very good at. And um, without giving obviously away too many secrets, but just try and change a few of the things that, that I've been doing because – I think there were things I was doing well at the start of the year, but then looking back, I probably didn't execute it as well in those previous finals. Um, 
but it's a lot of analysis. You know, I, I, a few years ago, analysis wasn't a major part of my my game, but now the serve speeds are going up to 100 mile an hour, for example, and um, returns, you're not getting much of a play on those little marginal gains with serve directions or um, favourable patterns, things like that are going to become more important to me to be able to make the right decision there and then. Very good. And we look forward to to seeing that unfold, Alfie. You know, I can see, you know, we can see a, a Nadal-Federer-style style lefty against righty, you know, o- o- over the next couple of years. I'm going to have to get you on the podcast again because there's loads we haven't spoken about. And there's 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 lots more that I'd, I'd well, love, maybe that love to Maybe that could be 201. 201 part two. Well, exa- exactly. So we're going to have to do that again, Alfie. But very quickly, I have to take you to the quick fire round. Otherwise, our the control the controllables fans will go crazy if we don't do our quick fire round. Um, but before that, I just want to say a massive, massive thank you. One for coming on, two for for sharing so openly, three for inspiring us all. You know, and uh, you, you've got a, an amazing career. You've got an amazing story. And, you know, there's going to be so many people listening to this, but also now more and more people that rightly saw watching wheelchair tennis and just the incredible sport that it is and none more so than, and I said this to Gordon when I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago, I had I had two TV screens. I had you guys on and I had Neil Skupski, a good friend of mine, on at the same time. And I'm sorry, Neil, but your match was much more entertaining. Alfie you know, <laughs> and, and the the energy from the crowd the you know the whole atmosphere and 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 that's now getting into our eyeballs and it needs to get into it even more so so keep keep yeah. pushing that keep keep doing it keep inspiring but are you ready for the quick fire round yeah let's let's do it forehand or backhand backhand serve or return return singles or doubles doubles Favourite Grand Slam? US Open. What's one rule change you would have in wheelchair tennis? That's a good question. Um, Spin backs means you can automatically win the set. So if you spin the ball back over the net, you automatically win the set. Set's one. (laughs) Well, that's go. Don't say that to Gordon. He loves yeah, trying that shot. Right for you. <laughs> that that that'll help. That'll help Gordon out because he loves trying. He loves trying the exactly. old drop shot. Exactly. <laughs> Do you think that the classification system is fair? Cool, big question. Uh, <laughs> uh, in the open division, yes. Most inspiring person in your life. My granddad. And the most inspiring tennis player to you and why? Andy Murray, because, I mean, recently, obviously, the adversity that he's had to, to overcome and his perseverance to still want to go out there and be hungry for it and want to win so badly after everything he's already won. But also the way he managed to win that Wimbledon final twice, especially after losing in, in 2012. I think um, now I've experienced being on the, the the other side of it, losing two finals, makes me really appreciate um, and value how, yeah, how we did that. What's the most pressure you've ever felt on a tennis court? Most pressure? Um, I would say 
the singles final this year. What does control the controllables mean to you? <laughs> well, I think for for anyone to be able to control what is actually in your control. That's <laughs> such an easy question, right? But there's so much or so many things that I think we focus on externally that aren't in our um, direct control or we don't have influence on. And being able to wake up every single day and just know that whatever it is that you're working towards or you're striving for, if you tick off every box that that you set yourself and you set goals that you can achieve and it has no influence on anyone else, then that's yeah, that's the the way to success. And the more you focus on what you can control and what you can uh, can push your boundaries and push your limits the more the, you could say, the luckier stuff goes in your favour. Love, absolutely love that answer. What's one bit of advice for someone who has found out that they can't play an able-bodied sport? Find your local tennis club and get in a wheelchair. <laughs> no, I mean, um, just honestly, give it a go. Find, there will be places around the UK. Um, there's more centres now having wheelchair tennis lessons going on. Um if it's something that interests you, then just, especially if you've got a tennis background as well, like you'll you'll master half of the the, the battle with the tennis. You just have to get used to obviously the wheelchair. But if it's not tennis, then don't don't be afraid to to start something new. It doesn't mean it's I think believe sometimes in life that things that happen to us are meant for a reason and a bit of fate and how we respond to those adversities and choose to approach them will yeah put you on a, a good path in life very good and as always to anyone that listens to control the control was our last ever question on every episode but before i ask it you have the baton so it is a responsibility of yours as a guest of control the controllables to help get this person onto the podcast next who should our next guest be on Control the Controllables? Ooh. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with tennis, and because I think she deserves it, and she, I know because we've uh, we come from the same school, and she's worked very hard to get to where she is. Olivia Nichols. Yes, Olivia would be a great guest. I think she, yeah, so, she's so she's done amazing. Same, you she's were the same amazing. school, were you? That's cool. We were at the same school. She was a couple of years older than me. And we were quite a small high school anyway. So it's the fact that one of us um, has got to where we have is incredible. They learned both of us. So the school maybe should turn into a bit of an academy for tennis. But yeah. um, and I know she struggled with injuries and had to really work hard to, to get to where she and obviously have got to now. So I would... Uh, yeah, I'd like to pass the baton over to her. Brilliant. Alfie, you're an absolute star. Thank you for your time. Yeah, all all the best for, for the for the rest of the year. We're all fully behind you. You get yourself to the gym and get yourself warmed up for that next session. Brilliant stuff. Now it's been a, it's been a pleasure being on here and sharing my story. So thanks for having me on. Thanks, Alfie. So here here I am actually. I've got Vicky on a screen. And I am where Alfie Hewitt has started his campaign here in New York. And 
I know you're probably feeling a bit jealous here. I feel bad that we're doing this conversation with me on Arthur Ashe Stadium, Vicky, but it's... Uh... No, you don't. You don't feel bad at all. <laughs> but this is cool, uh, though. This is the first. I'm either looking at you across the table in our living room or um, in some dreary hotel somewhere. So, I, you know, that's a pretty impressive backdrop you've got behind you. <laughs> I, I, I feel like a proper reporter as I'm stood. I can see <laughs> holding people your mic. The, holding my microphone. <laughs> On, on the court, uh, uh, only got a few minutes because we've obviously got a lot of exciting action that's happening here in New York. Um, but yeah, Alfie, what a what a story, what a what an inspirational character he is. And I've had a couple of lovely chats with him out here in New York. Actually, he really is. He's like such a gentle giant in lots of ways because he, his personality is of a giant when he's when he's competing. Anyone that's seen Alfie compete, you know, he roars, he's determined, he has incredible energy, but he's just so softly spoken, so kind. You know, we've managed to get a couple of selfies together. Uh, I've, I've been able to see, I saw him in first round action. I saw a little bit of him and Gordon Reed, who we've also had on the podcast in action. It's so exciting, the doubles. I love watching the doubles, the wheelchair tennis doubles. It was on last it was on last night on Sky and we were all watching. It was awesome to be able to just sit and, yeah, sit and follow it from here. Because, you know, for years it, it was never on, like, the mainstream channels. I mean, you would never be able to sit down and watch wheelchair tennis, double men's doubles. So no. it was awesome. It is. It's unbelievable. Their movement during a point is unbelievable. It is. And the skill level. And, and actually they're on Louis Armstrong uh, today. So... Here in New York, it, uh, that's the second biggest court that there is. So, you know, all of these Grand Slams are, are taking it seriously now, which they absolutely should do, you know, and these guys and girls are getting the respect that they absolutely deserve. And, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how he progresses and he, he will be feeling in in some way. We, we talked about the, the new up-and-coming Japanese player, 19 years old. Well, he went out first round here in New York, which is a big shock. I just, yeah, I just, I just checked the draw earlier on and I was like, oh, he went out first round. So and, yeah, that and, definitely and opens it up. didn't just Ralph. go out, but went out 6-1, six, 6-1 one, six, one in the first round. So oh, wow. uh, I don't know exactly what happened there, but uh, I've got my fingers crossed. I'm going to be supporting. I'm hoping for an Alfie Gordon singles, singles final out here. And obviously doubles for them to take the doubles as well. But one little interesting point, actually, while we are in New York, it's you'll probably see the sweat dripping from my head right now. It, it, the guys I can, are but I can also see the roof. Is that the roof? The, the is roof that the is, roof on? The roof is closed right now. And, and we've got mixed doubles pair, Harry Heliavara, who working with, and Anna Daniel Nah. Who they are, they have got an opportunity to practice here on on Ash before their mixed doubles final on Saturday. But it's been so hot the last three days that, you know, I was I was in the stadium watching Alcaraz Verev last night, and everyone sat there sweating. Everyone's got towels. Um, there's not a seat in the house. It's been incredibly supportive. But with the wheelchair tennis, interestingly, they've actually the last two days they've actually had four or five hour gaps during the day. Um, now, I'm not 100% sure why, exactly what it is, why the, the heat rule is is stronger for the wheelchair players. Somebody said to me that the, the quad 
the quad players, they have to be really, really careful in the heat. So they've almost across the board just said any wheelchair tennis isn't able to play. I think it's above 35 degrees. Um, so that's been a little interesting thing that, that's happened out here. I wasn't sure whether maybe it was that the, the wheels get so hot for your hands or whatever it might be. But certainly the temperatures we had Medvedev said on the on the centre court yesterday against Rublev that uh, somebody's going to die out here, you know, if we're if we're not careful, um, which is maybe a little dramatic, but it 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 truly is really hot. It's humid. It's sticky, and it's going to make for an interesting semi-finals finals weekend coming coming up. I mean, never mind the players; just the fans sitting in the stadium in that heat is just—it's—it's it's absolutely brutal. So yeah, it's uh, well, we have the same in the summer here at the academy when it we had players having to sit out from sessions we were talking about having to cancel or postpone and try and put later. I mean, it is brutal when the heat gets like that just to sit in it. So yeah, competing, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough one for the tournament organizers for sure. In terms of this episode, you know, we talked about following Andy Murray would be a tough, it'd be a, a tough act to follow, but this, his story is, is really, it's, it's so inspiring and it was lovely to hear him kind of children in a similar position and how, you know, he really wants to try and inspire them, how he, how he wants to you know send the message that he, he can relate to how they're feeling, but also how much things have improved since he was at school. Absolutely. And, and, and it's, it's heartbreaking, right? I mean, you you put yourself in that position as a as a parent. You find out that your child, you know, one day they they go into hospital, they they come out in a wheelchair, and uh, and are unable to do able bodied sport ever again. You know, live what we perceive a normal life to be, and you know to 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 have that news, but then to see, and I'm certain I'm a big believer in this that when things happen, we've talked about this before. Say the word good. And that maybe is a bit simplistic for some people, but and that can take time. But the 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 ability mentally to be able to turn situations around, and for 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 Alfie and also many of the the wheelchair tennis players to be able to then go right. This is now an opportunity for me to to see the world, for for me to take something on and build these character traits that are going to give me this most most amazing life, you know, and, and and get to the absolute top of the game and then to be able to inspire, to be able to, yeah, change change the way that people view the world. And, and certainly Alfie, Alfie has done that and taking all of that energy that could be used in an incredibly negative way and he's turned it into a positive. And I think it's, it's such a great life lesson for us all, right? You know, we all have to experience change, difficulties. It doesn't mean that we all get told that we're going to be in a wheelchair, but we all do have these things as we go through this life. And, and I just, just think what an incredible, incredible human being he is to be able to do that. And, and also incredible family and support behind him, you know, from the coaches, but his mom, his grandfather, who he speaks so fondly about, you know, it, it's a real feel good story. And yeah, it, it was a, it was an absolute honor and pleasure to, to speak to Alvin. That got me actually, when he was talking about his family and all the support that they, that they've given him right right from his diagnosis i was i was doing the listening to it for the first time while i was cooking the kids dinner and uh our youngest walked in and she said mommy what's wrong so i haven't had a cry at the podcast in a while but yeah oof, 
once you start, start talking about grandparents, that gets me uh, gets me every time. But yeah, what a support. Um, they, they sound like they're still so close knit and, and what an impact that's had on, on him as a person and his career. I, I wrote down actually at the start when he said, I love a challenge and I love a problem to solve. And you quoted that back to him as well during during your your chat. But that it, it it's almost like that family unit has really helped mold mold his personality, mold this toughness, mold his mindset. And when he did have that, um, I mean, that must have been horrendous. Waiting for a year, did he say, to find out if he could compete, yep. still continue with his career you know his everything that he's been doing for the last however long his entire lifestyle could have just been taken away from him through no fault of his own and his mindset how he described it during that was just incredible i i think i think for me life life is a team sport you know and i think that's that's how we all have to view that and that's certainly the message i take from this you know whatever we're going through in life is is easier if we've got a team around us and you know family is everything close friendships are everything um you know that's in 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 the sport that we love tennis that is everything and you know they see that here in new york you know there's a lot of tight-knit teams you know you need to have people in your world who you can lean on and that's if you do that then you can achieve great things but you can also deal with deal with so much adversity that naturally gets thrown at us throughout life. And I think that's the big message for me here. It's, it's, you know, tennis is an individual sport, but get the right team around you. Life is not an individual sport either. You know, we get, get, get the best team that we can around us, value those loved ones incredibly closely. And we, we're able to, we're able to deal with most things that are thrown at us. And I thank you very much, Alfie, for, for sharing those inspirational messages. And it sounds, he hinted that something was coming up, didn't he? So it sounds like um, he certainly speaks very passionately about helping um, the next generation. So yeah, it, it sounds like he's got something in, in the works. He'll continue to do that. I'm just trying to look at the singles. Is he through to the quarters now or the semis of the singles? The fruits of the quarters, quarters of the singles, semis and the, sem- of the, and the sem- semis of the doubles. As as as. Are you going to be able? Are you going to be able to um, watch some of them again today? Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm going to get out there where I'm on court right now with with Harry and Anna because they prepare for their Saturday mixed doubles final. Amazing. And then, and then yeah, it sounds. I mean. This is not going to happen very many weeks of, of my life, but then Gabby Dabrowski and Erin Routleth, who I've been helping as well, they have their their women's double semi-finals tomorrow. Um, they've had some incredible results this week. So so where it's all, yeah, I've got to soak it all in because we've got an hour and a half on Arthur Rash Stadium now. I then jump across to Grandstand Stadium for an hour and a half with the girls as they prepare for, for their semi-final tomorrow. Um, yeah. And then I plan on spending the next couple of hours watching Alfie and also Gordon Reed in action. If I can, I want to see a little bit of Hannah Klugman as well. Uh, she's 14 years old, a British girl, already through to the quarterfinals of the, of the singles. Uh, Mimi Zhu, who we've had out at Sutton Tennis Academy, she's partnering Hannah and I believe they're in the quarterfinals also of the doubles. They won in 39 minutes yesterday in, in their, I saw that, in their but they beat second or third seeds. round match. Yeah. 
And I saw so, her being interviewed by Tim Hemman and uh, on Sky, and and wow, she speaks well. Oof, fourteen yeah, no, years old, so self self assured. Super superstar, great great coach in Ben Harron. He's he's gone places. You'll you'll you will absolutely hear her name loud and clear over the over the next few years, as long as she stays healthy, of course. But head screwed on, good parents, good coach support, proper tennis player, great athlete. Big, big, big things coming for Hannah Klugman for sure. Well, go and uh, go and support all the Brits. It sounds like you're having a terrible time. Oh, it's terrible. I'm, I'm, I'm hating every minute of it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but we, we will be back as, as always. Hey, lots uh, of life, photos. <laughs> lots of photos, lots of videos. You know, experiences, look, memories. This is, this is what we do it for. This is what the sports given us. I feel very thankful to be having this incredible two weeks and. That's on, on the back of the whole of Soto Tennis Academy and everything that they are doing, not everyone back at base. So a big shout out to, to all of them. Let's see how the weekends we've got. Potentially Alcaraz Djokovic coming on Sunday. It looks like it's going to be difficult not to see that. And Coco Goff, who we, we all chose as our one to watch. She's obviously through to the semifinals. I can't see it not being a Coco Goff Sabalenka final. Sabalenka is a, is a beast. Uh, been on the court next to her a couple of times. She hits the ball so hard. Um, and if she keeps her nerve, I can see a Sabalenka goth final as well. But we'll be discussing that all next week in our review of the US Open. Uh, once back home in the in the comfort of the house, uh, talking to the panel next week. Well, a big good luck to Harry and Anna in the mixed finals. So exciting for them. And to Gabby and Erin in the women's semis. And if you see Alfie and Gordon... Tell them a massive good luck from us all at Soto Tennis. Um, they're going for their calendar slam, aren't they? They've won Aussie, French and Wimbledon. So fingers crossed they can do it again and get all four. And then, yeah, like you said, hopefully it's an Alfie Gordon final, all Brit final. Brilliant. And we look forward to bringing lots more for you over the next few weeks. But until next time, I'm Dan Kiernan and we are Control the Controllables. <laughs>